Greetings programs and welcome to another episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast, the podcast where we look at two new things every week. My name is Matthew and with me, not as always, is Rachel Ho because Simon's on holiday. Hi Rachel, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you for subbing in for Simon once again. Uh, this seems to be one more time I think will make it a regular occurrence. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. I hope <laughs> one day, like you could take the week off, and then I could do one with Simon. I've never spoken to him. It's kind of funny. I feel like I'm taking Simon's seat, but I've never actually spoken to the man. I mean, if you just want to be our regular sub, technically speaking, I am going to be off next week, so you could do. Okay. We could do that. There you go. There you go. It's... Just is it going to be Simon on his own? Is that what he's going to do? Uh, I we hadn't sorted it out yet, so I think we might have <laughs> just done that. This is all. <laughs> This is all predicated on the idea that Simon will know how to produce the podcast and send it to me to be posted, though. So, so oh. <laughs> uh, you know, not to throw too much shade at my partner here, but um, uh, one of us handles the technical aspect of this, and it's not him. <laughs> I mean, it's not me on ContraZoom either. So, to be fair, I feel like it's me, Simon, and I always say Pierre over at Classic Movies Live. I feel like we're all we all do the same role. We just just come around just for a good time. We don't have to do anything else afterwards. <laughs> What's good though? You guys are the you're the you know you bring insightful commentary and uh, color to the commentary. It's good. Hopefully, do we? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we don't. We're like yeah, uh, we're like the color commentators in a in a broadcast booth. You guys, are, <laughs> you guys are the play by play. We're just the ones going. How about them Blue Jays? <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I mean, I don't have quite nasally enough of a voice to be a baseball commentator very specifically. Like, I feel like you really need to have a a real Buck Martinez, like... I mean, uh, Dan Shulman's got a beautiful voice, though. He's got very lovely dulcet tones to his his baritone voice. But you're right, Buck Buck is a little nasally. Yeah. I mean, there's always... There's always Joe Buck, too, but apparently he's a bit of a garbage person. So let's not talk about him too much. Oh, yeah. Joe, I haven't actually heard his voice in a long time it feels like yeah i did recently because not that long ago i rewatched all of brockmire and he's a re- he oh. is re- recurring as himself on brockmire which is pretty funny actually a friend of mine who's been trying to get me to watch brockmire for a while i keep meaning to watch it because it sounds like something i would really like but just haven't done it yet so we were not planning on talking about brockmire but this is now going to be the brockmire podcast <laughs> because <laughs> it is uh, i don't know if you're aware of the premise of the show uh, but Hank Azaria doing his baseball commentator voice, yeah. and that's that's it. That's the whole show, and it is. But great. like that, that's exactly something that I would want to watch because it's Hank Azaria. Who doesn't love him? He's incredibly affable human being, and then yeah. so baseball, and I'm into that. So there you go. Are you are you aware of the setup of the show? Because it's really no. funny. So the I'm setup really of the like sh- all, literally what you said is all I know about the show. It's Hank Azaria, and it's baseball broadcast. That's it. Okay, so in the first episode, and this started out as being like just a joke between him and I can't remember who it was, but it was a joke between him and him and someone else that like a baseball commentator could say literally anything on air as long as they maintained the count. And so the (laughs) first scene in the first episode is Brockmire recounting the story of him walking in on his wife having an orgy while calling a baseball game. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. That's not. That's not, that's not <laughs> off. Like if you, I mean, in a much kind of more PG, heartwarming version of it. But you know, Vin Scully passed away this summer, and yep. a lot of people have been recounting a lot of his like greatest hit clips. 
And the people talk about the way that he was able to tell a full story and just randomly pop in. Oh, this is going on. Like, and, and yeah. it's a single verse and like this and that. And then there's the joke about the Castellanos because the, what was it? The Reds guy, he had to make an apology on air and then he called, <laughs> he made his apology and, and like, I think Castellanos hit a home run at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And so, yeah. But that, that's actually really funny. I should really watch that show. I wonder where yeah, it's going. So the- the whole rest of the show is he obviously melts down while calling an MLB game. And the whole rest of the show is he's disappeared for 10 years in like a drunken, <laughs> like bender in East in like around the world. And he comes back to be the commentator for a single, like a triple A team in the middle of nowhere in a town that's been devastated by fracking. It's really funny. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start watching it. I'll watch it. I was supposed to watch severance this week. Actually, that was the show I was supposed to get into. I mean, that's a good I'll show, too. That's a very high Yeah, because after Better Call Saul show. finished, I was like, I need a new show to watch. And I think everyone's been telling me to watch Severance. So, And then Only Murders finished, which I really enjoyed that one, too. Yeah. You know, my dirty, like, nerd confession uh, for, like, current nerd events is that I have not watched a single episode of Better Call Saul. And that's, uh, good. that's a problem. It's I know it's one. good. Everything about it looks good. I just never did it. And I don't know or- why. Were you a Breaking Bad fan? Yeah, I really like Breaking Bad. I, I kind so, of I kind of have problems with some of the discourse around Breaking Bad, but the show itself is good. I only got into Better Call Saul over lockdown. Like it became my my lockdown show. Like everybody told me I would really like it. And um first I think probably the same reason I just never got around to it. I was always like, Yeah, I know that there's a show, a Better Call Saul or a Breaking Bad prequel, and I heard it was good. I thought, okay just never bothered to watch it but then because of lockdown i did and yeah i got really into it i was on like the reddit forums all day and i'm just like (laughs) arguing with internet strangers i'm like no howard hamlin did not deserve that you guys and yeah (laughs) that was me um but i highly recommend that that show uh it's a good one you probably really enjoy it it's a slow burn though i think that's the thing is like it's a fairly slow show so it's not one that uh, that's actually not true like there are moments where you're like waiting to see what happens in the next episode but yeah i am fully cognizant of the fact that there is no good reason for me to not watch this show Every, everything about it okay. is direct miley just every time i look at it we just i just don't watch i don't know what it, i don't know what it is it's not rational or correct i just don't <laughs> every you know there's been plenty of times even during lockdown it could have been our lockdown show but instead we watched the office like four times which i also don't regret I was gonna say that's 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 good too. I so I haven't watched the latter seasons of The Office. I basically stopped watching after Michael Scott left, and then didn't really give the show a proper chance afterwards. But I've heard if as long as your mindset is towards it's a completely different show for those seasons, then it's fine because it's just not the same without Michael Scott. It's like it's a different thing. But I just didn't bother. And every time I do a rewatch, I will stop at Michael Scott and then just start at from the beginning again. Well, it doesn't help that um, it's not it's not that it's really a different show, which is more of an ensemble from that point on. Right. Like The Office is very much the Michael Scott show mm-hmm. with a bunch of wacky people around him for those seven years. And then after that, it's much more of an ensemble piece. Um but I, it's not, and it's not as good. I'll fully admit. But I actually really like the season with James Spader as Robert California. Who, if you've watched the end of season seven, you know he interviews to be the office manager. And in yeah. the first episode of the of the next season, 
he shows up for work and then drives to the headquarters of the company and talks his way into the CEO's job. It's amazing. <laughs> Was that what happened? I didn't even know that. That's funny. Yeah. So he only shows up to, and he's just such a different presence. And James Spader is such a weird, yeah. wonderful presence. It's uh, I, I really enjoyed it. The the last odd season, man. Yeah, he's 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 I cool, mean. but he's an odd, odd dude. Like I was doing some David Cronenberg stuff earlier this year, and so I watched um, Crash, and I hadn't seen Crash in a million years. I felt like I'm like James Spader was so weird. But so oddly attractive. Like there was something about him <laughs> that you're so drawn to, but he's so weird. And you feel weird about finding him attractive. I don't know if that's what he's going for. The con- conflicting attraction. But he's I think he's the thing is that he's not actually going for any of it. I think he's just there <laughs> and he's just just living his life. Just living his best life, you know. Same I think the same thing could probably be said about, say, like less than zero from the eighties. Or he has a a wonderful sleazy turn in that Jack Nicholson movie Wolf, uh, where I think the same thing. He has that same. He never doesn't have that energy, you know. It's it's very unsettling, but again, yeah. very attractive. It's very <laughs> it's so he's so weird. Like he makes you question your own decision making and your own taste. You're just like I don't get it, but it works somehow with James Spader. But he yeah. he's like he's got like. I mean, Age of Ultron was not a great movie, but I really like that movie, he was, I, I didn't, I don't know what it was about that one. It just felt, I think it just it's, felt like a really lesser than Avengers. Like the first Avengers was, was good. Like it was actually a really good movie. And then I just felt like Age of Ultron was a lesser than, maybe if that was the only Avengers, I wouldn't have been so down on it. But because there was one that I had seen, so my bar was already kind of high. But I, I thought Spader was really good in it. He was great. Yeah. I think we could talk about Age of Ultron for hours, but I think my 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 legitimate belief is that that movie is a three-hour movie that's been cut down to two. And so it's not great, mm, but there's yeah. definitely like connective tissue that's not there. You're saying like it's, it's like release release the Whedon cut? Release the Joss cut? Is that No, we're sort of way... I don't know. No. <laughs> No, for so many reasons. No, no, no. Stop, stop it right now. Nip it in the bud. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Good. Well, that is nothing like any of the movies we're going to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on and do that. Uh, so to, uh, as as usual, we're going to talk about two films. Uh, the first of which is uh, an indie religious mockumentary satire thing, and the second of which is the latest from uh, certified masterpiece maker George Miller. Um, but we're going to start with the uh, former of those, which is called "Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul." And Rachel, why don't you give us the lowdown on "Honk for Jesus"? I feel like. I, yeah, I would like to hear what you your plot breakdown of this because I don't know that I can do it. <laughs> First <laughs> off, one of the great movie titles, like it's the weirdest movie. It's it's a James Spader movie title. It's, not, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't work. Like it's weird, but somehow I think the more that I say it, the more that I hear it and I read it, the more I actually really like it. Um, even though I've been yeah. short short editing to just Jesus. Um, okay, so basically this movie, it's going to take on the mega church culture of the states. And this is particularly in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and you've got 
two or one pastor and his wife, which they call a first lady. And that that's apparently like a legit thing. I, I was reading up about it and that's a real thing. They do call the wife of the pastor of a mega church pastor, the first lady, which I found really funny. Uh, it's that's, starring that's Sterling a, K. Brown. Okay. It's, it's weird. It's, it's really, really strange. Um, so it's Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall, both of who are magnificent. Um, and basically we have Sterling K. Brown who plays uh, the pastor and he is, he's, he leads the church and it's very popular and they're very successful. They've earned a lot of money. They've made like, they have a huge mansion, massive wardrobe. Um, but then as is the way of a lot of these things, um, a big, I don't want to say a tragedy. It's not a tragedy because this is not tragic, but a big um, conflict arises and Sterling K. Brown's character is wrapped up in um, some allegations of sexual assault, uh, specifically to potentially minors or those who just became adults uh, at 18. And the lead character is actually Regina Hall, who it's it's the stories about her journey in how she dealt with one, her husband's indiscretion, shall we say. And then the movie leads up to them trying to rebrand the church and bring it back. And that's what the mockumentary side of it is, is the film kind of cuts between a documentary that's being made about them and their rise back up to the top. Um, but then we also see just outside of the filming of the mockumentary, we see, we see bits of that as well. Um, that would be my breakdown of the movie. Yeah. That's about as, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Um, I feel very conflicted about this movie, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's, uh, there's, okay, first off, there's several things that I like about it. One, how can you go bad? How can you go wrong with Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall? Like, yeah. they are incredible performers, and they definitely bring their A-game to this film. Um, I actually also really liked, um, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, but Nicole... Uh, Bahari and uh, Confidence, which it's an amazing name, just for the record, uh, play like a competing pair of uh, church leaders. And I thought they were great. Uh, I thought much of the filming was really, really good. Um, I felt like the whole thing is a little bit let down by its script, though, which isn't to say that it's bad exactly, just not great. I don't know. I help me out here like i feel like i feel like this movie is sort of let down by the weight of its expectations i feel like it is not as good as it probably should be is maybe the least polite way to say it is that fair <laughs> i'd agree with that i think that i i liked it i thought that i i enjoyed the movie i thought it was fun to watch it did feel longer than i realized it was which is never a really great sign um but for the most part i enjoyed the movie I will say that I agree with you, though, that I feel like there is there was a lot of potential that wasn't met. And to me, that difference is very, very marginal. It's a very fine line to cross. But it, it's a it's a good movie. It's an above average movie, in my opinion. But it really could have been a pretty great film. And I can't really put my finger on, though, what it was exactly that doesn't elevate it to like a great film. I feel like. It's funny, like you said, Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall are both 
incredibly tremendous. Sterling K. Brown, I think he does more dramatic stuff. Like he's mostly known for This Is Us. Um, but he's really funny. Like he's incredibly humorous and he's very charismatic. Regina Hall does the best of both worlds. I think she's an incredible dramatic actress. She's obviously very funny as well. That's how she made her career. And she does an incredible scene in mime makeup, like just dressed up as like a clown. Like her face is painted up as the clown, as a mime. And she's able to do this really big, the big dramatic moment of the movie, all while wearing mime makeup. And I feel like that's kind of the, the, that's the essence of the movie in a sense is like, it's really dramatic, but yet there's like a face of, of comedy over it. And the two of them together is incredible. Like they have that scene. I think it's going to be the one that most people are going to talk about when they, um, when they rap uh, along to a song, which I can't remember the name of it now. I think it's like knuckle, knuckle, buckle, knuck, knuck something, knuckle something. And it's an, it's an Atlanta song and um, there it's incredible. Like they, they do it in the car together and it's really fun, but yeah, but there's, there's something kind of lacking in the movie. Um, I don't know if it's maybe the, the focus was a bit split on, you know, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it, they kind of try to do both as opposed mm-hmm. to being a comedy that has dramatic elements or a drama with comedic elements. Um, but I, yeah, I, it's one of those, it's kind of like almost like a biopic in many ways where the performances are amazing, but the story itself is, is a bit lacking. Yeah. I think um, for me, I think it might just be the script. I feel like the, like everything that they're given, they do amazing work with. And that one that one last monologue where she is wearing the the mime makeup, the praise mime makeup, which is just I didn't Google it. Is is praise mime a real thing? Because that's just what? <laughs> I just I don't I think understand. It is. I remember doing. reading it in the press kit. I think it is like a legit thing. I think everything that they do in that movie is it's pulled from reality. Realistic. Yeah. Cause the the director, um, Adama Ebo, she was talking about like or they had written it in the in her notes of, of the on the movie she basically took it from her own childhood like it's her own conflict with the church she grew up with a big mega church um, baptist mega church that's where she attended um and there was a big controversy within their church as well with one of the pastors and it made her as a young woman you know question herself like question the church gave her so much and she does it's a it's a a massive part of her culture and of her upbringing but she can obviously see the flaws in the entire endeavor so it almost like this movie was kind of like working her way through those issues (laughs) like kind of like trying to work out how she felt about it through the movie i guess what i was trying to say is because i got distracted by the praise mind thing (laughs) i guess what i was trying to say (laughs) is that i feel like the script sort of promises at various points that it's going to go to all these different places. And I feel like it never really gets to any of them. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right. Like it, I feel like it, it, it sort of does, but it only ever like glaze glasses over the, like the surface of whatever it's trying to, to explore. It never really explores any of it in real depth with the possible exception of Regina, Regina Hall's character through that last monologue where she does like explain I mean, she's basically, basically trapped in her position, she feels, anyway. 
And she's the only character that really has any development at all, like Sterling K. Brown. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing, but like if you're looking for a film where characters change and grow, this is not necessarily that film. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's hard to pin down, right? It's hard to pin down exactly why. And like, just to be clear, I liked this movie. I thought it was good. I'm recommending that you watch it when you get a chance to see it. Um, I'm just sort of, it's one of the, it's one of those movies that exists in that weird place where like, I wish it's good, but I wish it were great. And I don't, and you should definitely see it. I just, with the warning that it's not as good as it maybe could be. That's, and that's a weird place to be coming at a movie from. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird, it is a very, very weird conflict for this movie. Cause I think it's a fun movie to watch. I'll say. And I think, I, I don't know about you. I watched it with, I think, three other people were in the cinema. <laughs> there weren't mm-hmm. very many of us at the screening for it. but uh, And they were, I mean, not to stereotype or anything like that, but they were of a certain demographic that I don't know if they really appreciated the humor or what was going on in the were movie. They, I, was, it, was, it, was it my demographic? Um, like older, I would oh, say. Okay. Potentially a little bit older even. Um I think anyways, I didn't, I didn't actually really know them. I just saw them and very awkwardly looked down at my phone and just pretended to be busy. But anyway, <laughs> that's my behavior at screenings. Um, but I feel like this would be a really fun movie to watch in a, in a crowd that kind of like it, that will, that it's has its audience. I think that this movie has its audience and mm-hmm. it will find its audience. And I think that that, if that's for you, if you can watch it in a theater with a bunch of people, I think it actually would be a really fun a fun, fun movie to go through and like watch it. But I, I'd agree with you. Like, from, like kind of objectively talking, if you just look at it as a piece of film. Yeah, it could, it could be better. I think it could be better. And I think it's almost unfair of me to say that though, because I, I offer nothing in the ways of saying, this is what I think you could do to make it better. I think it's just like little tweaks here and there. And I, I like the focus on um, Trinity, on Regina Hall's character. I like the focus mm-hmm. on her character. But because the film turns on um, Lee Curtis, uh, the Sterling Brown character, you like you said, you don't really get enough of him. Um, yeah. Although you do get a lot of him, though. But like maybe just not deep enough of him. Um, but I do love that we take the perspective of the quote unquote first lady of all this yeah. and all the hats and all the hats and outfits that they have. Yeah. It's a really interesting glimpse in just inside that whole world of the, the mega church as well. One thing I did actually really appreciate too, is that the movie does. So the, the setup is that they're trying to have their like comeback after this scandal and the film takes a long time and really sort of plays with your assumptions a little bit about what exactly that scandal is going to be. And mm-hmm, it never really actually makes it a hundred percent clear what exactly went down. And I sort of, I actually really appreciate that because in the end of the day, it doesn't actually really matter. <laughs> um, but it allows the actors, the space to perform around it and to sort of fill your imagination with what might possibly have been happened because of their reactions. And I think that Sterling K Brown does a really really good job at that and there's one of the people that he has uh, is alleged to have done something with is placed by played by an actor called austin crute and the character's name is khalil and he only has like two scenes in the whole movie and he's really powerful in both of them and mm-hmm. even you don't really know exactly what went down between them but may not telling us 
know, it's kind of like a, a horror movie, right? Whatever you can imagine is behind the door is scarier than whatever's actually behind the door. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I just, I really, I really appreciated that about it. So, the, I mean, again, this is a good movie. You should definitely see it. And I would, I would agree with, with you as well, that if you can see this movie in a crowd, uh, like a good reactive crowd, this is probably yeah. going to be a great movie. Cause yeah. it's one thing where, you know, Getting to watch movies at home is great, um, but there's certain kinds of movies where seeing them in a crowd is the right way to do it, and this is probably one of those movies. Like, I, I don't agree. think, I don't think Top Gun would be as impactful if I hadn't seen on seen it on opening night with a full house, right? Like, this movie needs a crowd of people who are worked up, who are into it, and who are laughing at the jokes to really pull you along, and that sort of group experience of watching a movies would really do, do this one. Well, I think. I wonder how it's going to play in the, like the South and the States, like in Georgia and those places. Like, I wonder if Ooh. how funny they would find it, or obviously there will be a group of people who do are offended by it as well, because it's, it is attacking their church, which as we know from the movie and just generally speaking, church is a big part of, america it's they mm -hmm. always say it's like the three f's right it's like family faith and football mm -hmm. i always found that really funny that that was a thing in the states <laughs> but um, but yeah i mean like I, I i don't really appreciate i don't think just how ingrained church culture is especially in the southern um, parts of the states uh but i i do wonder how it's going to play there because i i saw I don't know if it's Sterling K. Brown or Regina Hall's social media, but one of them posted up like the trailer. I think they both did and just like to, to promote the movie. And there are a few comments that were just like, you're making fun of the church, aren't you? Sad face. Like they're, they're not at all happy about it. And people are like, yep, that's what people like. That's what this Hollywood group do is they make fun of the church and things. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cause this is not necessarily, it is attacking the church in a way, but I don't think in a way that, is unjustified like it's more about what this specific pastor has done as opposed to the system that the church creating what the pastor has done if that makes sense yeah i mean it's not spotlight like it's not no, it's not yes, it's yes. not attacking the system yes. right yeah uh, although true. although this kind of thing you know this story of a pastor who you know especially um there's a scene fairly late in the movie that's there's a lot of really great scenes in this movie that are basically um sterling k brown watching home like old home videos of his old sermons when he was leading hundreds of thousands of people at a time and one of them is a really homophobic rant yeah um and there's a real pattern of like church pastor who's a homophobe turns out to be gay you know <laughs> like, it's uh it's, I don't think they're being made fun of for anything that isn't real. And I always find it really funny. And I, I always find it interesting to remind myself that like, you know, there's people commenting that you're mentioning that are saying like, oh, Hollywood's attacking our church. But like, Adama Ebo is from there and lived through this. Like, yeah, yeah. she made a movie, but like, she's, she's one of you. Like, yeah. it always reminds me that people who watch movies you know, everyday people who watch movies don't know as much about movies as say you or I do. And I find that really, I find it's a good thing to remember at times. It's true. Like, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy reading the press kits of movies. Cause I, I like hearing what the directors have to say 
about how they made it. I mean, most of it, to be honest, is is kind of redundant. Like, you know, they're, oh, like, this actor was perfect for the role. It's like, yeah, I get it. Um, mm-hmm. But I love to hear what their inspiration was for it. And um, the Prescott for this one's in particular, very, very interesting, because I think Adama, she puts a lot of a lot of personal touches and a lot of personal stories in there that I think make you see the movie in a bit of a different way. One aspect she talked about, which I really commiserate with and I I find really refreshing is she was saying how she wanted to make a movie that was just about it wasn't about black people it wasn't about a black person and their struggle in society it's just a movie and the people happen to be black in it and with that comes you know obviously some cultural points and and references and things like that but I find right now we're at a point where anytime that there's you know, not a white main character, their race becomes the focal point of it. And I hopefully I think we're moving away from that because I'm starting to see a few projects that don't necessarily focus on the race of the character because it could be played by anybody like this mm-hmm. very well could have been a white couple, like a white um, mega church pastor and first lady because they exist too. Um, but, you know, it's it's. I, I find that really refreshing that hopefully we're going back because when I was growing up, there was movies like that were shown primarily on BET, but it was like the best man and baby boy. And those weren't necessarily about, you know, the struggle of the black man or struggle of the black woman. It was just, you know, a movie and the people, the cast was just black. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we kind of go back to that. Cause I, I, I understand right now with the social discourse and everything that it's a little bit different, but, yeah, it's it's nice to see a movie like this where it, you know, just feels like this really does feel like one of those kinds of movies and I I appreciate that and it feels a little bit nostalgic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a place for both of those kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we need, yeah. We need both of them. Speaking of, you know, if you want to watch something like as a companion piece, this might be a really interesting th- one to watch in and around watching the righteous gemstones that hbo show i don't know if you've watched that show but it I is about no it is about a, a mega church in the south and it's uh it's it's really i mean if you're familiar with um oh wow his name has gone straight out of my head now that i have to say <laughs> it out loud um wow it's the guy who did eastbound I- and down um, uh, I'd help you, but I have no idea who's in this show. I can like see his face, and it's really embarrassing that I can't remember his name. It's Danny McBride and Jody Hill. Oh. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus H. Christmas. Um, yeah, Danny McBride plays like the eldest son of a megachurch pastor played by John Goodman, and it's all about him and oh, his two okay. siblings who are like jockeying to be the next mega church pastor. It's, um, it's really good in a really awful cringe kind of, if like, if you like these pounded down and vice principles, you should watch the show. Um, but it'd be an interesting companion piece. Cause it, ex- it doesn't explore exactly the same things, but it does definitely explore more of the, like, these people are actually morally corrupt aspect of mega church leadership. Um, I'll throw another title out there that I don't know how easy this is to get a hold of, so I don't even know why I'm mentioning it. But it, it I just because I saw it recently, um, it's a movie. It's a Singaporean movie actually called Look at Me. It's hashtag yeah. Look at Me is the full the official title. Um, 
And it came out recently at the New York Asian Film Festival, just maybe about a month ago. Um, but it's it starts with a pastor who's in, in not as mega as the American mega church, but like an Asian version of a mega church. So a little smaller, not as, as big because the Americans like to do things a lot bigger. Um, and they have the same thing because they have, a, or they used to, the laws now getting repealed as of, I think, last week they announced it. Um, but the Singapore had a, um, a criminal, a, a, Singapore had a law that basically made it illegal uh, criminal activity for two gay men to have engage in sexual activity with one another. Mm-hmm. And that was a carryover from a British law from ages and ages ago. But when Singapore became their own country, they kept it. And the movie follows like a pair of twins, one who's gay and one who's straight and a pa- and they they find their they end up at like a mega church sermon. And the pastor is going on and on and on about how, you know, I have no problems with gay people, but they're living in sin and da 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 and all that kind of stuff. Um and then at the end it turns out or I mean maybe I shouldn't spoil this, but yeah, it turns out he's gay himself. So um it's not just about that, but it it, it is kind of um it, it is heavily rests on that storyline uh so yeah that that's like another interesting one to look at in terms of a non-american non-white non-black kind of view of a very similar topic which just goes to show that maybe we just shouldn't have mega churches in the world that's just I mean, my piece maybe i uh <laughs> i i don't know that there's space to have that discussion on our movie podcast <laughs> um but yeah, it is interesting how in a lot of these stories and in the real world, it's, you know, uh, whatever, whatever you are, accuse your enemy of being and being bad. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting psychological thing that I'm sure there's tons of writing about. Um, so yeah, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul comes out on Friday, the 2nd of September, uh, although in some places I know there's like late night screenings on Thursday. So in whatever Canadian city you're in, it should be playing Rachel, what will you give this film out of five? And as a reminder, whole numbers only on our show. Probably give it a three. Yeah. It's a three for me as well. Yeah. Three is probably what I would go. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, again, I think that's a great place to put it. Cause again, it's kind of like, it's, it's really good. It's not quite great, but it's really good. So it's a three. Yeah. It's definitely worth seeing just for the lead performances. Because they are, they're amazing. You, Two you of them are really good, and also if, if, like, in terms of costume design as well, they do a really, really good job with that. Like some of the stuff that Sterling K. Brown wears, some stuff that Regina Hall wears is pretty amazing. I will say that I wish I could pull off any of the suits that Sterling K. Brown wears. <sighs> they look amazing. The, they like look he amazing. does three piece mostly throughout. They look real good. Yeah. And I'm not a hat person. I have a very large head, so I can't really wear hats. <laughs> but but Regina Hall, she really pulls them off, and they look amazing on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's a good movie. We should see it. Um, so now we're going to move on to our second movie of the show, which is director George Miller's latest film, Three Thousand Years of Longing. This is George Miller's follow up to the. Uh, I think it's isn't anything between this and Mad Max Fury Road. I don't believe. No, um, I think so. Uh, and this is a story. It's Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, and Tilda Swinton plays an academic who finds a glass bottle while she's uh, at a conference in Istanbul. And when she opens that bottle, a genie 
a djinn played by Idris Elba pops out and says she can have three wishes as long as they are her heart's desire. And that is the setup that the trailer probably told you. And it's not incorrect. But what the trailer doesn't tell you is that the rest of this movie is basically them sitting in a hotel room telling each other stories for two hours and ten minutes, I think. Um, How long this movie was? It's at least two hours. I think it's two hours. It's around two hours. Um, And it's it's very sweet and it's very well performed, but it is also very slow. And I'm not kidding when I say that is pretty much the whole story, except for that in the third act, they relocate to London uh, where they continue telling stories. Um, yeah. Uh, Rachel, what did, what did you think of 3000 years of longing broad strokes? So I'm just going to put some on the wiki page and it says the runtime is 108 minutes. And so I would say if you take out the intro and the credits, I think you're running at like a tight 90 minute movie, but it doesn't feel like a 90 minute movie. Oh, yeah, it does as not you clearly like just demonstrated. It doesn't feel like that at all. Um, I, this isn't, I'm even more conflicted about this one than I am about honk for Jesus um, because I really like this type of storytelling. Like I like this. It's not really a genre of story, is it? But um, I love stories about like, gin and genies and things like mm-hmm. that like i find it really fascinating i read a book a few years back now it's by helen wecker it's called the golem and the Ginny, and it's by far one of my favorite things that i've read in the last like 20 years of my life like it's it's a phenomenal book and there's just such a great history and story behind um the gin like the uh, a Ginny or a genie and so I like the movie on the concept uh, on the concept, but I can't really say that I really enjoyed it, but I don't know if this is one of those movies that come the end of the year, I'm still thinking about it and I still really enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those, but, but it is very slow. It's incredibly slow. And I know George Miller is mostly you go for his movies because of the visuals and people are like, you know, it's very, I've read some of the reviews and people are like, it's very visually rich. And I actually didn't really care for the visuals that much. I didn't think that they, I didn't think it looked that good, but I enjoyed the stories that were being told um, via Idris Elba and, and as, as the djinn, like it's kind of historical fiction in that sense of going back to some of the more uh, treasured fables and stories and myths of, of, Uh, Arabian history in particular and I enjoyed that part but the visuals just didn't do it for me and but I mean I don't know if I said it I might have actually I think I randomly did say it the last time I was here I wasn't a big fan of Mad Max so it could just be George Miller's visual storytelling isn't for me interesting I think the thing for me is that and this is, I'm fully admitting that this is a mistake on my part that like, I love Mad Max. I love, I love all of them. I even love the quote, bad one, uh, whichever one you think the bad one is, I like it. So just insert that one. <laughs> um, although, I mean, there is one that's not quite as good as the other three, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but I definitely went in expecting a different kind of movie. Okay. Something a little more dynamic, something a little faster moving, a little more for lack of a better word, explosive. <laughs> um, and that's on me not only because 
you know, you shouldn't trust trailers, but also because Mad Max, uh, Mad Max, George Miller has a long filmography of making super weird and very diverse things. Like Babe. Babe. He, he was and, babe. And, and Babe 2. Babe 2 is a certified masterpiece. Happy Feet are yeah. great kids' movies. Um, I even like uh, in the late 80s, he did The Witches of Eastwick with Nicholson and Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon and Cher. That is a fun movie. Totally different from anything else he's ever done. Same with, um, uh, was the one he did with, uh, I think it was Sean Connery, Medicine Man. I think that was George Miller. And I can just Google it. I have three screens in front of me. No, I'm thinking of Lorenzo's Oil, which is another one that is like, again, a very well-acted movie um, about a very deep subject, totally different from everything else that he has done. Like, the the man makes different movies. He makes Mad Max, and he makes other kinds of movies. And this is definitely a different kind of movie from Mad Max. So I think I was let down by my own expectations. Um, And that's tough, though, right? Because I was not expecting... I found the movie very sweet. Like I found the the stories very sweet and I found them very well told. I liked most of the visuals. Um, There were a few transitions and a few uh, things that I was like, why is this even here? Um, Especially in the like, uh, there's, it's not, there's a couple of like clear divisions between acts and the story that they don't have. uh, The stories themselves have title cards, but then there's some other sort of like, inserted visual pieces that I was like, I don't, this is pretty, I guess, but it serves no purpose. I thought the title cards were really random too. Like, I feel like we went through a good chunk of the movie without a title card. And then all of a sudden a title card appeared and I was like, Oh, it's one of those movies with title cards. I don't know yeah. why I think it's like a, t- a typical type of, mo- or a specific type of movie. Yeah. And but you know I, what? It, this... just, it felt random. And I think that's because, and maybe I'm misremembering this, but I only saw the movie two days ago, but when the gin <laughs> is telling stories, the first one doesn't have a title card, but then the rest of them do. Am I misremembering that? Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's why I thought it was odd, like or something just didn't seem consistent. And I mean, it's a, it's a very small point, but I think in terms of carrying you along in the film, like from beginning to end, that kind of inconsistency, maybe it does make it feel. Maybe that's what made it feel a bit like languid in in terms of pacing. Like it just didn't we weren't on board straight from the jump of what the movie was going to be. But it's interesting that you say like your expectations weren't met because I didn't really know anything about the movie going into it. And I tried to do that for most movies. Um, I try not to watch a trailer. I try not to, to know too, too much about it Um, because that's happened to me one too many times where it's like, you think a movie is going to be a particular way. So Sure, when yeah. the movie started and it, I realized where it was going, I actually got really excited. I was like, oh, it's going to be like one of these types of movies or these types of stories that I really enjoy. Um, so that's interesting. Would you would you ever go back to watch it like months, years later? Is Would it interest you enough to go back to see like now that you know what it's about and you've, you've had oh, yeah. it? Like, would you, would 100%. You Let's yeah. be clear. I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as with the last one, I you know as with hawk for jesus i didn't love this movie but i did like it 
and you know i did enjoy it i did actually i again i really liked how sweet it was i all i actually really enjoyed basically all of the stories i enjoyed that it was full of actors who um i had never really seen before uh other than idris elba and tilda swinton um i thought that the aside from the effects work i thought a lot of the cinematography was gorgeous um and i thought that you know george miller and his team did a really good job of making a lot of really attractive people look really attractive um (laughs) which you know i'm a human being you can deal with that um it's uh so and i also and i i don't i don't know if i've ever talked with you about this but i've definitely talked about it on this podcast before i respond very strongly to movies that feel like plays and this movie feels like a play like i respond to movies where it's two to three people talking a lot and that is what this movie is so in a lot of ways this movie is directly up my alley so i feel very conflicted about my reaction to it because on the one hand like i didn't I watched about half of one trailer, so I didn't really have that much sense of what it was going to be going in. I just got excited because I, very generally speaking, really like George Miller movies. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of expecting it to be a certain kind of George Miller movie, and then I forgot that he doesn't really have a certain kind of movie that he makes. So uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean... I feel like, in fact, I will certainly see this movie again because I want to dig into it a little bit more. And I feel like multiple rewatches... This is one of those movies where I couldn't tell you right now for sure, but it feels like multiple rewatches will be either very rewarding or not that. It'll be be one or the other. It'll definitely change my opinion one way or the other. Um, And I look forward to finding out which one of those ways it is. Yes, I I really think that this is a movie that I'm going to like more as time goes by, whether or not I rewatch it or not. I just feel like it's, I always judge a lot of movies by like how much they stick with me, especially as the months go by. And if -hmm. it's a movie that's still kind of latched on to me somehow or on my brain, or I think about it every now and then, which I have, I I only watched this a few days. I, I watched it before you, but it hasn't been that long. Um, But I, I enjoy it. And I, I, Again, it's kind of like the Hong for Jesus one where I feel like it could have been really, really great. Like you're working with some really interesting storytelling and you've got great actors to do it with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. I mean, for most people, I think when we get introduced to the idea of a, gen- a genie, mo- when I say most people, I think most of us outside of uh, if you if you don't live in like an Arabic con- country or uh, live outside that culture, we mostly got introduced to the idea of a genie from like Aladdin where mm-hmm. it was, you know, you got three wishes and it's all fun. And, and that's always like a little school schoolyard game of like, Oh, if you had three wishes, what would you do? Um, but even the end of Aladdin, they kind of touch on the idea of freedom and the fact that he's like in the itty bitty lantern and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I like that this movie really focused on the, the loneliness aspect of the gin and just mm-hmm. like how tortured it was for him to live in there one of the the i the lines that kind of stuck with me was when she was like um when when tilda swinton's character althea is saying well you, you probably just got like a really long nap like sitting in there for hundreds of years and he's like gin don't sleep and it's mm-hmm. like oh that's torturous to just be in this little bottle and you can't even take a nap like um so i like that but i wonder if 
if they had gone even further with that, like really look, cause that was kind of the whole point of the movie was looking at the lack of freedom that he has as a djinn because he has to be tied to somebody to grant them the wishes in order to get his freedom. Um, and then just the loneliness of basically being an immortal creature uh, that, that lives forever. So I feel like you could have, maybe they could have dug into it a little bit more and left behind some of the visual flourishes that were in there. But that's just me talking because I didn't care for the visual flourishes as much as most people seem to agree that those, those were a strong point in the movie. Yeah. I do wonder there's probably space for, and I feel just to be clear, I feel, you know, as a middle-aged white dude I, from Canada, I feel very ill-equipped to talk about this in any real great depth, but like, I think there's probably also some space to talk about, you know, is George Miller necessarily the right director for this very Middle Eastern story? Yeah. And also did anyone like how purposeful was it that the woman who found the bottle is white and the gin that comes out of it, who is effectively her slave is black. Yeah. Like there's a ton of space to talk about lots of different things in here. And I think that's probably again, sort of outside where I'm prepared to go today, but like, there's definitely a lot to think about in this movie that, you know, for, for good or ill. I agree with I that. Think, I, I think, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think, I think that this film is probably going to stick with me for a lot of those reasons. Um, and, and yeah, it's again, it's either way, the performances are, are pretty, pretty great. And I think it's probably also one of the things that I think might make it not stick quite as well for me is that, you know, you go into a movie expecting one story and this film is really more like a series of vignettes. Like it's not really one cohesive story. Uh, all And those vignettes are all really entertaining, but they don't, none of them really satisfy that itch in the same way that like one long cohesive story would. Or if the final one, if uh, Tilda Swinton's story had resolved, uh, I mean, it does resolve. I don't know. I feel like her, the third story, the last story, her story didn't tie it all together necessarily in a way that made it satisfying, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think that the idea of it being split into vignettes as well, that comes from the fact that, you know, he adopted it from a short story, which I did start reading actually after, uh, I should probably go back and finish it um, after I I saw the movie, but it's a book of short stories, isn't it? Like it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, it's the, the book itself is called the gin and the nightingales nightingales. I, um, and it's literally, I mean, it's a series of short stories and like, that's how he, that's how he decided to, to, I say he, I mean, George Miller, I said it was such contempt. Like that's how he decided to do it. (laughs) Um, but I agree with you. I think if there was like a, a more through line or because I don't think the payoff with Tilda Swinton's character is enough because to me, she just feels like you could have done this whole movie without an actor like Tilda Swinton, to be honest. You didn't need such a big actor, such a um, such a force on the screen. It helps. It obviously helps. But it it's really the movie's not really about her that much. It's not really, you know she's just our 
she's just kind of like you know i don't know i'm thinking about this it's like she's like a cracker and i don't mean that in a racial way i'm just thinking like <laughs> I, just, I just realized what that sounded like like, it's just like you know when you have like a cracker and you put like cheese and sauces and stuff like that like and but what you're really after is the dip you're not like the cheese is just the thing or the cracker is just the thing that gets you the dip yeah. and yeah i guess you're trying to say yeah, I I went down a weird path there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to call Tills mention a cracker, but I'm just to be clear. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you're saying in particular. Although I will say that if you're going to cast someone to be a um solitary academic Northern <laughs> British narratologist, who else are you going to cast in this movie? Really, That's true. like it's also Tilda Swinton is the per- is like that that role is she, written. She, it has to be her. Yeah. I also want to say I love the idea that there was something called a narratologist. I was like, that's the greatest thing I've ever I don't know if that's a real profession, but um that is an amazing word and an amazing area of study that I would love to do. I'm sure it is a very much so an area of study. Like I know literature and all that, but um I like the idea of somebody introducing themselves to you and they're like, I'm a narratologist and you're like, what the that sounds so made up um but you're right yeah i mean who else could it be other than tilda swinton but yeah i i I, it would have been nice to have a bit more substance with her almost um because there was a point i mean not to spoil the movie but like there was a point where um in one of the Jin's stories he encounters a young woman who has a lot of the same physical attributes that we see until the Swinton's character, like the way that they're shaking their leg and the way that they read the book. And I thought that there was going to be some, I don't know, some, some coming together there um, at the yeah. end, but nothing, it didn't really happen. And I was like, Oh, and I kind of forgot about it until just this very minute. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that there was going to be some connection there. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you though. It's a good movie, not a great movie, but maybe over time it'll become great. And I don't like George Miller's like most prolific work, but I will say I like him as a director because anybody who does like Babe Pig in the City and Mad Max and 3,000 Years of Longing and the Lorenzo's Oil, like that's amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's he, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good director. He has a, he has a very interesting and I think unique visual sense that, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that I, I think did, did well by the movie. Um, I think he's like the thinking man, Zack Snyder. Maybe. That's actually maybe a really good way to put it. No slow motion. Yeah. No, <laughs> we don't do or, slow or, motion. That's or at the very least, appropriate slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not every every five seconds there's like a slow-mo thing. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's it's good. I think it's worthwhile to check out as well. I think it's... it's do you think it's one that you need to see in theaters, though? I think that... Um, I'm glad that I saw it in a theater. Yes, I saw it in a theater with a uh, with a preview screening that was nearly full. It was oh, wow. not the biggest theater in the city, but it was nearly full. And um, I found that um, it was interesting because the crowd wasn't like hooting and hollering or anything because it's not that kind of movie. But the crowd was clearly like wrapped up in the story. Oh, and it was really interesting to hear people talking about it when the movie was over. Um, because even there was two dudes right behind me who were like, every once in a while, I just look around cause it's, you know, I like seeing how people are reacting to things. And these dudes were like 
wrapped in the story. And at the end, I could overhear them talking and they were like, well, that was a missed opportunity. Talking about how they didn't really like it. And I was like, you were leaning forward in your seat the whole time, sir. Uh, (laughs) But what uh, what I found really interesting is that most of the people I, I was listening, I listened to people talk during credits. And one of the things I noticed was that most of the people who were like, I didn't really like that were dudes. And most of the people who were like, well, that was lovely. We're women. So do with it information what you will. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, it is, it is very, it is very story based. Like that's the thing. Like it, it is one of those, like you said, like you can get wrapped up in the story, but you know, there's no big punch. There's no big. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you said you used the word explosion before. Like there's none of that <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's not that kind of movie. Like that. That's not the kind of movie it is. But like even like philosophically speaking there is no big punch like there's no big philosophical punch or explosion in the film uh but yeah overall i think it it's another one of those movies i think it definitely has an audience though i think that there's going to be a group of people who love this movie and won't shut up about it later and telling us how we're all stupid for not liking it but again i do like it (laughs) i actually look forward as much as they do I actually look forward to seeing who within film Twitter is that person yeah. this time. Because uh, I often find that when someone has like a, a passion for a film and talks about it a lot on Twitter, I actually generally really enjoy that. It's nice when other so. people like things. It's nice when people have passions. Yeah, and we're just actually, we're in such a, uh, I was talking about this on Twitter just today, actually, that like we're in such a weird place of the online discourse that we farm so much hate and negative takes that when someone has a real passion for something like that, I actually really respond to it. And I'm like, yeah, you go, you, you talk about the thing you love. Cause I just want to hear nice things, man. <laughs> just please say nice things about something. This but that's a very again. off topic, but like, and I know we're running a bit long, but I was at a wedding and there was a, I was, uh, sitting next to someone who I did kind of know, but she was an opera singer. She used to be like a proper opera singer. Um, and she was saying in one of her courses when she was studying opera, uh, they used to have to write criticism for like old operas. And they used to have to write up critiques in the same way that you and I do for film critiques. And her professor was like, you know, it's really easy to be negative about stuff. And it's really easy to find the things that are bad about it and to write about it at length. But it's very tough to see like what is actually makes it great and what makes it think good. So he goes, you know, focus on that and um, not to say like give everything a positive thing. Sometimes stuff sucks and that's what are you going to do? But, you know, it is hard to find the good in something sometimes because I think naturally we just want to critique it, which is a shame. Yeah. What's even, you know, the great Roger Ebert once said that when you're writing a review and it's something you didn't like, you still have to write it in such a way that the person who will like the movie knows they will like the movie and will go see it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, so 3,000. Nice place to end on. I know, right? So 3,000 <laughs> years of longing out of five for you is a... I go three again, actually. I do another three. Yeah, me too. It's a, it's a three kind of day. It's an interesting theme of films, actually. Just that through yeah. line of like, we kind of both wish both of these were better than they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We both really like them. Like we both did enjoy watching them, but I think it's yeah. just, there's like a nagging feeling that there could have been something, something here or there that could have made it a great, great movie. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Well, that's where I think we're going to end for today. Rachel, where can people find you? You go to my website, which is rachelkh.com, and I'm on Twitter, underscore Rachel KH. Yeah, anything recent you want to plug? I did a review for Beast, which actually is Idris, Idris Elba as well. So there you mm-hmm. go. There's that. That's on Exclaim. Um, I just finished recording an episode of Contra Zoom pod with Dakota, and we did a TIFF preview. So TIFF's coming up in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks or one week. I don't know. It's coming up soon. And there's going to be a lot of TIFF stuff um, soon from coming my way. Or, yeah, because you know. you you're are you a member of Toronto Critics as well, right? So you must, I am, must yeah. be the big one of the year for you. Yeah. I'm excited. It's my first time too doing um, covering a festival. Like it's all in person. It's all kind of like what it used to be before COVID and everything like that. Because all of the festivals that I've done, pretty much have all been virtual. Like uh, TIFF last year was a hybrid, so I did a lot of online stuff. But like this year, there's seems like they're bringing back you know all the parties and all the people are coming and yeah, seems it, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're we're patiently waiting to find out exactly how VIP is going to go down and for the same reasons. Yeah. That would uh, be f- oh, have they not announced if it's going to be like online or hybrid or. I think much like, cause TIFF is doing the thing where they're having a fully in-person festival and then following that yeah. they're doing like 10 days of online screenings. Um, and I, yes. I don't know, um, maybe they have, but I haven't seen what VIP is doing exactly, but I hope they keep, they have VIP connect that's running all the time. So I, I hope there's mm-hmm. at least some online component because that's all I'm going to have time for this year. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, so everyone go check out uh, Rachel's stuff because she is great and she has the best radio voice in the business. Um, <laughs> we are going to end there. If you would like to find streaming links for either of these movies, uh, they won't be there right now, but they're on our site. They're powered by Just Watch. So when those films are available on demand, you will be able to find them there. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Awesome Friday CA or me on Twitter at SmatthewAF. And uh, what else do I need to say? Uh, we record this Simon's, here in Vancouver. Simon's Twitter. Oh, Simon is at Temporary Pen, but he's not here. So I think that's no, fine. No, still give Simon. What's Simon's so- yeah. socials? Check that out. Yeah, Simon's on vacation. And we're all very jealous. <laughs> um, we record this here in Vancouver uh, or in Rachel's case in Toronto. Uh, but it's produced here in Vancouver uh, on the unceded lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish Nations. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Check the show notes for all the links for Patreons and socials and all of the stuff. And thank you very much for listening on this awesome Friday. Bye.